This morning we uh, continue in a sh- series that uh, I started last year, and uh, it's really a series that is just designated for this particular Sunday each year, so there's uh, potentially two more uh, coming. It came from a booklet that I read a number of years ago on, on the church, and I found it a very helpful booklet, and so I've just adapted it to um, uh, what we are doing when we uh, call people back at the beginning of the year. So it's not original to me. Um, a lot of the content is, but some of the big ideas in the outline isn't. We call this Welcome Back Sunday because um, for at least those of us that are ingrained in the pattern of school, uh, life gets back to a certain routine. Uh, for others of us who have been retired for a number of years, um, there is no really routine, and so this is just another Sunday like any other Sunday. But uh, we do sort of, as a church, realize that when September comes, we start to see faces that we haven't seen for a little while. People are a little bit more consistent, and uh, so it is something of a welcome back. Um, Last year, when we looked at this particular uh, Sunday, I wanted to help us understand, well, what is this church all about that God is building? And if you're uh, new to the church, it's an attempt to give you a little bit of an insight into what we do here, what we believe, and why we believe it. If you're part of this church and have been for a little while, it's just a gentle reminder of some of the basic things that make us tick as a church. Uh, Last year, we looked at this uh, uh, topic of what our church believes. Now, you can get the full uh, outline of what our church believes by going to our website and looking up there our statement of faith. That statement of faith matters. Uh, You will hear me say from time to time that theology matters. In other words, it's not just words on a piece of paper that we really don't care about. In fact, our statement of faith is something that we ask our staff to read each year and sign off on. It's something that our deacons and elders read and sign off on. And we believe that it's something that we hold one another accountable to. So again, you can go onto our website and you can find our statement of faith and it will give you a summary, not an exclusive statement of what we believe, but a summary of the main points of what we believe as a church. I summarized them last year uh, this way. Uh, I said, started by saying, the Bible is entirely true. We believe that here. Sinners are completely sinful. By that I mean, I talked about the depravity of men and women, that there is within us a depth of sin or a reality of sin, that there's not one area of our existence that has not been affected by sin. We talked about how God is really big. His sovereignty, His power, His might. We talked about the fact that we believe here that the cross is absolutely central. Uh, Jesus, our Redeemer. Praise Him, praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. The cross is absolutely central to what we teach and preach here. Grace is utterly incredible. Uh, I don't have time this morning, and I'm still debating whether or not I'm going to tell this story in any service. But I have been struck this last week about grace in a way that I never experienced grace before. And I'm bothered by it. Because I find in my life I want to pay something. I want to do something. I want to earn something. I want to make up for something. To receive grace utterly free is a very humbling thing to do. But we believe that the gospel and salvation is entirely of grace. You don't earn it. You don't buy it. You don't inherit it. It is a gift of God. We believe that uh, disciples are uh, 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 internally secure, and we also believe that life is holy, holy. In other words, that it's not just about church and how we dress and how we look on Sunday, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week, our lives are uh, uh, to be committed to 
pursuing sanctification and holiness. So that's what we looked at last year, what we believe. And you can go find that online, and you can listen to that if you uh, never heard it and you're thinking about this church and you want to know, well, what is it that these, guy believe, these guys believe? Today I want to talk about what the church is. And it's a, just, a, again, a reminder for those of us who have come here for a long time, and it may be a help for those of you who are uh, a little bit new and you're wondering, so what is this particular church all about? What does the Bible say about the church? One of the things that I'm finding is that amongst evangelical circles, um, at least, and those are Protestant circles, that the church is dwindling in its influence on people's lives. More and more people are saying, well, the church really doesn't matter to me. You don't find that in Catholic circles. You find almost the opposite happening in Catholic circles. But in Protestant circles, people are giving less and less priority to the church and the gathering of the church in their lives. There are growing numbers of people who outright will say, well, I don't need the church. Or I meet God when I'm out in my garden. Or I am fine to, you know, talk with God at the end of the day after I've done all of my stuff. I, I heard um, while I was off on my break this last year, this little ditty, which I think is um, helpful for me. Well, maybe not. It says, it's better to be out fishing thinking about God than at church thinking about fishing. <laughs> But we have these views that church isn't important, that it doesn't matter, that the gathering of God's people and being here on a regular basis isn't something of a priority. But I don't think you can find these attitudes in Scripture. I think as you look through Scripture, you find that the gathering of the people of God, the regular gathering of the people of God, is necessary, it's beneficial, and it's what God asks us to do in His Word. Church is not just about God. Church is also about the people of God. And moreover, church is not a human institution built by man. And I think that's sometimes why people are repulsed by it. But the church is a divine institution being built by God. And in fact, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, it, prevail against it. In Ephesians, we find that Jesus loved the church so much that he gave his life for her. One of the most um, helpful uh, uh, messages that I have listened uh, uh, to about the church was a number of years ago by John MacArthur, and it was simply why I love the church. And it was a helpful message, and in it he just talks about, well, I love the church because it's the only thing in the Bible that God built or is building. I love the church because Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I love the church because it was bought with the precious blood of Christ. And he goes on, and I can't remember how many points he gave, but it was just an incredible message at the end of it. And you thought, man, I wish I loved the church as much as he loved the church. Anyhow, if the church is something that God is building, we ought to ask, well, how is he building it? If the church is something that Christ gave his life for, we ought to ask, well, why did he give his life for it? And these twin truths will be what we look at um, the rest of the message with. Again, this is very basic. Um, stuff you've all heard before, but it's helpful to reiterate it from time to time. First of all, uh, what the church is. Four sort of biblical metaphors. The church is a building. No surprise. Uh, you can go and read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, verses 1 to 17. It's a construction zone. That's what I like to think about. The church is a construction zone, but it's not wood and steel. It's flesh and bones. The church is constructed with 
people. It's constructed with theology. It's constructed with ideas. And we all contribute to the building of the church. It also sort of tells me that this can be a messy place from time to time. If you've ever renovated your house or if you've ever uh, done some stuff, you know that sometimes it's a mess as you walk from uh, your clean room into your kitchen that you've torn apart. Well, sometimes the church can feel a little bit like a construction zone. We're just tripping over things and tripping over each other because we're trying to build stuff. We're trying to build uh, the people of God, and so it can be a little bit messy from time to time. But we find that the, the foundation of this building has been laid, and it's been laid by the apostles, and the foundation is Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of the church. Everything else that we build has to be built on that foundation. And the Bible tells us that anything that is not built on the foundation of Christ will one day be tested by fire, and it will all burn away. Only the stuff that is built on the foundation of Christ, that is the Word of God and the truth of God, will stand and will last. So it's helpful for us to remember that when we think about the church, it is a construction zone. It is a building to which we all contribute. And what we contribute will be tested at one point or another. The second metaphor um, is a bride. We are part of an incredible relationship. Not only are we in a construction zone, but we're part of a relationship. The church is the bride of Christ. This helps us, I think, understand something of its beauty, something of its preciousness. None of us would ever think of trashing somebody's bride. And yet, how quickly do we trash the bride of Christ? And the Bible tells us that God, Christ, so loved the church that he gave his life for her. All of Ephesians chapter 5, that portion, is talking about the beauty and the preciousness and the purity of the bride of Christ. Those of us who are married are given an extraordinary responsibility, as that passage tells us, to reflect this beautiful metaphor of Christ and his bride. And in our marriage, we are as husbands to represent Christ's love for his church. And wives are to represent Christ's or the church's submission to Christ in that beautiful relationship that is there. But I hope that from time to time as you think about this place and you think about this people, that we are a beautiful bride. And we ought to be careful how we treat and how we talk about and how we interact with the bride of Christ. The third point is simply that we're a body. I read that scripture. This is where I wonder sometimes, how do people ever think that they don't need the church? How do people ever think that, 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 that they can live without uh, the people of God, that they can just in their own world create their own group of people and, or their own little family and say, well, I'm fine, I don't need the church. The, the Bible is so contrary to that. The portion of scripture that I just read there says that we need each other. You know, we've talked about it's a construction zone. We're, we're talking about we're part of a love story. We're the bride of Christ. Here, you are not alone whether you like it or not. It's a wonderful thing to be needed. It's a wonderful thing to need, uh, have others need you. And that's what the body of Christ is all about. That picture stresses our interdependence, not our independence. All the parts of the body matter. And there's an interrelationship between those two bodies. You, you, some, some things may appear more significant than others, but, but everything matters. I was talking to a fellow, some of you might know him, he lost two of his fingers this last, um, last spring. He says, it's amazing. He can't pick up a bar of soap. It just falls through his hand because there's a hole there. 
you, you, you say, well, I don't need the church. I don't. Well, there's a loss in your life if you neglect the people of God. And if you don't serve your function, then somebody else suffers because we're not contributing to the body of Christ. There really isn't any room in the body of Christ for moping or for envy. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong there. And I've heard people say that in different ways. Well, you know, I, I can't do this and I can't do that, so I'm going to another church. And part of me says, okay, we'll go to another church then. We'll find another foot. But it's not that easy, and I know that's a little sharp. But sometimes you get frustrated that people don't see how they can be part of a body. We should remember that we ought not to say, I don't matter. We ought not to say, I don't need you. You do matter, and we do need you. We are a body, and we are connected towards one another. We are members of a body, and we should have a concern for one another. We have a mutual responsibility to one another. The church is not just here for you, though, and you are here. You are here for the church. The bigger, uh, there is something way bigger than, than you here at this church. It's about the body of Christ. And so we've got a construction zone. We've got a, a love story. We've got a, a, necess, a necessary relationship. And the fourth one is simply the church is a pillar. It's a pillar. You're part of something really, really significant. When Paul writes to the church at Timothy, uh, in chapter 3, he finally gets to saying why he is writing to them. All that he writes about deacons and elders, all that he writes about prayer, all that he writes to them in that book of 1 Timothy is so this that you might know how people ought to act in God's household. That's one thing. There's a right way to act, and there's a wrong way to act. Most of our homes have rules of conduct. And we would say to our kids, no, you don't act like that in our house. Uh, and so there's a right way to act. So he says, I've written, so you might know how to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. This is a pillar and a foundation of truth. Outside of here in the world around us, that truth is being assailed all over the place. But I hope that when you come to here, not only do you find this to be a place where truth is spoken, but that you contribute to that and you stand also as a pillar of truth in this church and in your community. So that's enough of the picture. There's more that we could have gone to, but this gives us a little bit of what the Bible tells us uh, the church is about and what God is building. Some of the big ideas. It's a building. It's a body. It's a bride. It's a pillar. That should guide us and you if you're thinking about this church and as we're uh, getting back into this church. Secondly, and I'll spend the rest of my time, I think, on this. Parksville Bapt Fellowship Baptist Church is a local church. And I want to help you understand a little bit about how that uh, is worked out. And I just want to unpack those words um, from backwards to forward. So I want to start with church. We've already looked at some of the big ideas about uh, uh, church, but I want us to think about this particular church. What is it that distinguishes this church from any other church? What is it that distinguishes this church um, from, from a church down the road? Is it the building? Um, how do we know it's a church? Because we have a full-time pastor? Uh, is it a church because we have a cross on the roof? Uh, is it a church because we have the name church in our, in, our, in our name, Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church? How do you know this is a church? About 400 years ago, people wrestled with that question. And historically, since then, 
we have identified the church by three marks. I've added a fourth. So you might say, well, okay, Paul, you're not amongst the reformers, and I know I'm nothing compared to them, but I have my fourth mark of a church. I'll give you the three good ones, and then I'll give you Paul's mark at the end. So when you think about this place as a church, Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church, how is it defined as a church? Well, the first mark I, that they would say, and it's true here, is the preaching of the word. You can't have a church without the proclamation and the preaching of the word of God. It is front and center of what a church to do. This should be no less obvious today than it was 500 years ago, than it was 1,000 years ago. We have a message to proclaim. We are to be be devoted to sound doctrine. Uh, in Acts, they said um, that, that they, the pastors needed to get people to be involved in serving so they should, could give themselves to prayer and to preaching of the word. Preaching is important because it most directly brings God's word to the people. Without preaching, the people perish. And so this church and a mark of every church ought to be the preaching of the word of God. A second mark is that uh, what we would call the administration of the sacraments. We have two of them here. Sacraments, um, I don't know if we generally call them sacraments here. We call them ordinances. We have two of them, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are two things that have traditionally marked out a church from non-churches. The practice of baptism and of remembering the Lord's table. Those are two things that Jesus commanded that we do. Baptism is an act where we say, I am now a follower of Christ. We identify with Christ. Baptism is something that generally should happen almost as part of your salvation experience at the very beginning or very early on in your walk with God. And it's troubling sometimes that people put baptism off. They, they say, well, I'm not ready now, or I'm, I don't want to stand in front of people, or I, I haven't got my testimony figured out, or, and they're valid. I, I get them. But sometimes we wait to the point that we never get baptized. Baptism is something that the Scripture says should take place very soon after salvation. The second is the Lord's table. Baptism is our identification with the body of Christ. The Lord's table is our identification, our ongoing identification with the body of Christ. Baptism happens once. The Lord's table keeps going and going. This is a song that never ends. You've got to have grandkids, I guess. Anyhow, so a church is marked out by its remembrance of what the Lord commanded it to do, of the baptism and the Lord's table. The third mark of the church, which has um, been uh, regularly talked about, is discipline. Right away we think, oh, I don't like discipline. Al Mohler actually calls this the missing mark of the church. Discipline, though, is not only negative. I think that's the first thing that pops into our head when we think about discipline is, oh, it's just harsh. It's negative. It's kicking people out of the church. It's calling people on the carpet. No. Discipline is, is, is all about holiness. Discipline is all about reconciliation. Discipline is all about bringing people or keeping people or encouraging people to walk with God. And if a church is not concerned about that, then it's not a church. The Bible has a beautiful balance when it talks to dads. It says, fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's really what discipline is. It, it has both the, 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 the admonishment side, the correction side, and it has the caring side and the loving side. 
And as children get older, hopefully there's less of the discipline side, the admonishment, and more of the nurturing. But there's still that balance, and same within a church. If a church is not concerned about your holiness, it's not a church. And so a church, and this church, is marked by the preaching of the word, by the celebration of baptism in the Lord's table, by discipline. And then this is Paul's addition. It's marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I'm convinced of that more and more, that what marks the church and sets the church apart from all other gatherings of human beings is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we're just a group of people. And, and, and I remember reading not long ago in Exodus as Moses is wrestling with the Lord. And, and um, uh, he, God is telling him, well, lead the people out. Moses says, I'm not going unless you go with us. And finally, he wrestles with the Lord. And finally, he says this to God. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with us, do not bring us up for here. For how shall it be known that I find favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from any other people on the face of the earth? We ought not to be afraid of the Holy Spirit, loved ones. And I hope you pray on a regular basis, God, fill that church, fill those people with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, we might as well just be a group of people that meet about anything, anywhere. And so when you think about Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church, we are a place that preaches the Word of God. We are a place that practices the uh, baptism in the Lord's table. We are a place... Uh, where we believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to move without the Holy Spirit. And um, we are a place, what's the third one, the fourth one? Discipline. There you go. Discipline. See, I even want to leave it out because I don't like it. Discipline. So when you think about church, in Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church, that's what we are. So what about Baptist? This is where we get a little bit particular. The word Baptist says something about us. It says something about our distinctives and even a little bit about our governance. Concerning practice, we believe in believers' baptism. I understand there's different views of baptism, but here in this place, we practice and we believe that um, baptism comes upon the confession of faith, and baptism is by immersion if possible. We don't die on that. I've poured water on people. I've sprinkled people. But our normal practice is by full immersion. And there's a reason why we do that. We don't have time to go into that this morning. But as a Baptist church, we practice and we believe that baptism is expressed post-salvation and it's by immersion. Concerning governance, we are congregational. By that, we, we mean that the congregation plays a significant role in how this church is guided and directed. Part of that role of governance is entrusted to deacons and elders who under God um, lead the people in a couple of capacities. And I know this is kind of general. I like it how one fellow puts it. He says, the deacons have a serving office intended to display humility before God's people. The deacons service points to the serving activity of all God's people should show. And this is needed because people are prone to pride. And serving is a way that we deal with pride. And then secondly, this fellow says, the elders hold a ruling office intended to exercise control over God's people. 
This is necessary because God's people are prone to wandering. And so our congregation has entrusted um, significant portions of leadership to a group of deacons who serve and set an example in service and to elders who rule and do that in such a way, hopefully, that the sheep don't wander quite as much as they might be prone to. By the way, our statement of faith would also lead us to conclude that we would be a Reformed Baptist church. This has to do with our doctrine and teaching. And a question that I get asked from time to time, I get emails and people phone me and I think they're thinking about our church or they just want to know. It says, are you, is PFBC a Reformed church? Does it teach Reformed theology? And I think my answer kind of confuses and frustrated most, many of them because it's both a yes and a no. My answer doesn't help them in that way. It's a yes because I would say that you read our statement of faith and you would see in our statement of faith a very strong emphasis in Reformed theology. But I would also say no because I don't believe everything in Reformed theology is right or helpful or true. And so what I try to do, and this is not arrogant or pride, I try and say we are a Bible-believing church. If the Bible teaches it, that's what we teach. So that is what Baptist means, though. It speaks about our, 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 our uniqueness in our view of baptism, and it says something about governance in our church. Fellowship. If you're interested in membership in our church, part of the uh, process is participating in an evening session, and we've got one coming up on the 18th. There we talk about the place of membership in this particular body. One of the sections is loosely called, Who Put the Fellowship into Fellowship Baptist? What you need to know if you're part of our church or you're thinking about this church is we're not sort of an independent local congregation that does whatever we want and is no, has no connection or no ties with anybody else. We are part of a fellowship of about 500 churches across Canada. There's five districts in the fellowship. There's a, a, a main office, but we are still a local independent body. We've made a significant move to becoming an interdependent group of churches, but that doesn't mean we've given up our autonomy. And if you're here through the summer, we had two of the main people in, that, uh, in, in our fellowship come speak here. Steve Jones, who is the president of, of the um, Fellowship National across Canada. He came and spoke. And David Harita, who is our district representative for BC and the Yukon. Those are two bodies that we are connected with. And so we are a fellowship church. We have fellowship with other Baptist churches or fellowship Baptist churches. In this uh, BC and Yukon, we share the same statement of faith. So that's Church Baptist Fellowship. The last one is Parksville. Lastly, by saying Parksville, what I'm saying there is that we are a particular group of people that meets in a particular geographical setting. Parksville. You might say, thanks, Captain Obvious. That's where we are. We, this is, our church is in Parksville. This is our, our address. Our, our postal code will tell you that we are part of Parksville. We do have people that attend from a little bit farther than Qualicum, from uh, uh, Port Alberni, from uh, South Nanaimo. But we are a local church. And what more can you expect that, uh, here uh, than, than if you're coming to this church now to get a little bit of a sales pitch? And here's the sales pitch. What can you expect to find here? Well, first, you can expect to find people who will disappoint you and sometimes infuriate you. You see, if you're looking for the perfect church, you're never going to find it. 
If you're looking for the perfect church, you've come to the wrong place. If you're looking for the perfect church, talk to me after the service, and I'll recommend one to you. (laughs) But if you're looking for everything and everyone to be neat and tidy, you've come to the wrong place. On the other hand, if you're looking for a place with people just like you, sometimes a little porcupine-ish, or even a little skunkish, then maybe you will be at home here. You know, we've got these wonderful analogies. We've got these tests that we do. And we ask people, are you a golden retriever? Are you a beaver? Are you an otter? Are you a lion? And I thought, why doesn't anybody come up with a test that has animals like vulture, hyena, chameleon, or snake? You see, the church is a place for sinners. The church is a hospital for sinners. The church is precisely where sinners need to be. But it can make life pretty trying at times. So if you come to this church, and I'm honest with you, you will sometimes find people who disappoint you and who infuriate you. Secondly, if you come to this church, you will find people who struggle against sin and are enduring severe trials. You know, it's amazing to me. Um, I have the privilege, and I think it's a privilege, I do believe it's a privilege, of knowing a little bit about some people. And when I look out on a congregation Sunday after Sunday, I see pain, and I see struggles. I see hurt. I see temptation. I see failure. That's what the people of God are. That's what we struggle with. At any given point, if anybody here is honest with you, they will talk to you about their battles. Some um, would say, I had a great week, and they're full of joy, and they've won all their battles. Others would say, you would look at them, and you could see on them fresh wounds of a difficult week, or if you talked to them long enough, you would see deep scars that had healed over, but they were reminders of intense times that they went through as individuals walking with God. Some would tell you they stood in the face of temptation. Others would say they became entangled in sin. Somewhere in Scripture, Jesus said, on this earth you will have trials. Some of our people are walking with rejection. Some physical challenge. Some the loss of a loved one. Others with lowliness. Some with deep pain. Life is tough. And when we lose our joy, we pray as Pastor Barry taught us to pray last week, revive us again, O Lord, that we might rejoice. You see, we might not always be smiling and upbeat, but we have hope. And deep down inside, we have a joy that is rooted not in our circumstances, but in our confidence that God is the God of the beginning and the end. We have a deep confidence that is rooted in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if you come to this church, I hope you learn about Jesus. I hope you learn the difference he can make in your life. And I hope you learn about the forgiveness that he has purchased for all who put their faith and trust in him, for the freedom from guilt and shame and condemnation that Jesus brings. So we may struggle and we may have pain, but we have hope. The third is that if you come to this church, I hope you will find a church that worships God carefully and thoughtfully 
you know, we do place a high priority on public worship here. The priority is seen in having one person on our team that that's what we ask them to help us with, is to lead us in worship. We plan it. We practice it. It matters to us that God be our focus. I understand that God does not re reside in these rafters, and sometimes you get that feeling that if you just sing loud enough, just stomp enough, just clap enough, God will descend from the rafters, and his presence will be in our midst. I don't believe that God is hanging up in our rafters. I believe he's in our hearts. And as we worship God, as we come into his presence, we join with a whole host of others on earth and in heaven who are also worshiping God. And so we seek to lead people into thinking, joyful, solemn worship that pleases God. He ought to be the object of our affections, and he certainly ought to be the object of our worship. And the final point, that if you choose to come here and you choose to stay here, I hope you will find a diligent effort to provide biblical teaching and preaching that engages both the mind and the affections. I spoke about this just a few weeks ago, how important it is that um, as Jesus commissioned the disciples, one of the things he put their confidence in was in scriptures and the apostolic word of God. We seek to make decisions that are rooted in a thoroughly biblical theology. We hope that our preaching and our teaching across the board from children all the way up is rooted in scripture. This is a church that stands on and proclaims the word of God. And so these are some of the things that you can expect if you determine to make Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church your home, or if you continue to make this your home. We will sometimes fail you. We certainly will not always meet your needs and your expectations. Sometimes you will even feel a little bit ignored, and yes, most of us are not perfect. But we worship the God who is perfect. And we worship the God who is transforming us daily into his likeness. And one day we will be perfect. So welcome back to Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church. Father, we thank you for just a few minutes to reflect on biblical truths and concepts. I pray that as we think about these things, we will go back into your word and make sure that they're right and they're not just some ramblings of some man that's up here this morning. I pray that you will impress upon us the truth about your church. What it means to be part of a body, to be in a construction zone, to be in a love relationship, to support truth. You'll help us understand what it means to be part of a church that's not perfect, that is full of people that aren't perfect. And yet, it's a good place to be. And so, Father, I pray that you'll impress some of these things on our hearts and minds in a fresh new way today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.